not what? Anybody? A button to be pushed. Right. Bingo. Prayer is not a button to be pushed, but it's a relationship to be pursued. It's week five, people. Work with me, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> you're like, you keep saying that all the time, and I don't know why. It's because I wanted you to be able to repeat it back by week five. Prayer, is it, say it with me, not a button to be pushed. It's a relationship to be pursued. But so many of us treat prayer like it's a button to be pushed, right? Let's be honest. Might be the reason why you don't pray right now. Because maybe there was a time you prayed, but maybe right now you don't pray because you don't have any big problems that, you, uh, that are going on in your life. You don't really need to push the button right now. So there's nothing you really feel an urgency to pray about right now. There's nothing you need. But, oh, as soon as you need something, uh, you'll be back. And you'll, as soon as you're struggling with something, you'll jump to prayer and try to push the button. But as we've looked at what the Bible has to say, and as we've looked at the example that Jesus gives us in the Lord's Prayer, prayer isn't a button to be pushed. It's a relationship to be pursued. I really hope that through this series that it's been at least somewhat helpful for you. I don't know... Um, how much longer we're going to keep going, about another week or two probably. Um, I kind of feel like uh, what we've done is, here is like, if you can imagine for me seeing the ocean for the first time, I know for, for us it's a stretch, right? Because how long has it been? Most of us can count a uh, number of hours since we've seen the ocean. Uh, but let's say we're going to see the Pacific Ocean for the first time, okay? How many of you have ever seen the Pacific Ocean? Okay, but, oh, wow, okay, about half. Maybe we should pick the Indian Ocean. How many of you have seen... Uh, <laughs> And we've talked about it, we've talked about it, we're going to go to this trip to see this ocean that we've never seen before, you know, we, we, we've seen the pictures and now we're, we're traveling cross country and now we're there and there it is and we can see it and we get out of the car and we run to the water's edge and we stop and we dip our toe in the Pacific Ocean, you know what I mean? That's kind of what I feel like we've been doing on the subject of prayer. This is not by any means exhaustive, it's not like we've, uh, we've got an awful lot to learn about prayer, um, it's, but it's just so much more that, that we can cover in a handful of messages here, but I wanted to kind of give you something to, to have some conversation about and to, to think about to maybe just take us one step further in our journey, in our, in our prayer life. Um, so prayer is a relationship to be pursued. It's not a button to be pushed. It's a relationship, not only a relationship where you pursue God, but this is the coolest thing to me, is it's a relationship where God pursues us. And I love the fact that we serve a God who pursues us. And I think when we get our minds around that and get our hearts around that and get the way that we approach prayer kind of around that, I think prayer becomes so much more to us. Uh, if we start to read the Bible, because I really believe that prayer and Scripture go hand in hand. Uh, remember we talked a few weeks ago about praying through passages in the Bible and as kind of a gateway into prayer. If you struggle with that, like how, to, you know, how do I engage more in, in prayer and really uh, enter God's presence? and really sense of communing with God, I suggested that if you'd start just kind of looking at your, at your Bible and, and reading through what the Bible has to say as, as a more than just a, hey, God, you know, uh, thanks for this day. Give us a nice day next weekend because we got that outdoor thing coming up and help me find a good parking spot because I got to get some stuff. And, you know, to see prayer is more than just that, that it isn't a button to be pushed, but a relationship to be pursued. Uh, in fact, sometimes, and, and uh, this is somewhere we could have gone in this series, but haven't yet anyway, uh, is that sometimes things happen when we pray. And that's cool. Remember the story of Daniel in the Old Testament? Uh, he, was, he was known. His, his reputation was all about the way that he prayed. 
And he prayed for his entire nation, and he was heartbroken and for, for not just what was happening around him, but for the potential of what he saw in, in the people, in, in his people in captivity. And the story of, David gives us, or of Daniel gives us a rare glimpse into what happens sometimes when we pray. And actually, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, it says that the moment Daniel started to pray, the moment he started to pray, the command went out from heaven. That kind of blows me away. I don't know that I've ever had that kind of experience in prayer where I sense that there, God heard me, and already things are in motion. But sometimes that's exactly how prayer works, and that's pretty cool. The, the, the danger of that is when we have that experience to think that that happens all the time. And that's where we sometimes land in frustration. And Jesus, you know, the, uh, the center of the Christian faith is not the teachings of Jesus. And I love the teachings of Jesus, but that's not the central point of our faith. The central point of the Christian faith is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the reason that the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation with our Heavenly Father who loves us is extended to us is because Jesus himself died in our place. And and you can only imagine what a difficult circumstance that was for Jesus to navigate. Uh, You can make a very strong argument that the reason that Jesus was obedient and went to the cross was because of the strength he drew from his time in prayer. And all through his ministry, we saw him going away and spending time with his father. But the night before his execution, he prayed that night. He said, Father, I would rather not die. Okay, I would rather not die this way. If it's possible, some other way. But not my will, your will. And he prayed with such intensity that there was sweat that fell like drops of blood from his face. So sometimes, like Daniel prayer moves heaven and stuff happens. Sometimes, like with Jesus, you would think if anybody gets their prayers answered, it would be Jesus, right? But sometimes God just has a story he's telling. If you grew up around church, and a lot of us have, uh, you've seen Christians reduce prayer to such a small thing, such a formula thing. It's, It's like, if you do this, this, and this, and then God will do that. And it's like God is a genie in a bottle, and if we just need to get the magic words to get him to come out and do what we want. And that's kind of what this whole series has kind of been up against, is that mentality. That it's not just, you know, God, make my life work out this way. No, God, make my life work out the way I want it to work out. Make my, make my uh, you know, I want that parking spot. You know, give us that nice day. I want uh, this guy. I want this girl. I want this marriage. I want this image. I want this kind of success. Just make my life go the way I want it to go. Sometimes uh, we believe that if we pray the right way and use the right words and if you use the right inflection when you, in your voice, you know, and if you pray hard enough, and that's, I, I, I get a kick out of that one because I, I don't even know what that means. And I saw it, actually I saw it on Facebook this week. Somebody, I'm just looking at the floor right now. Somebody was saying, I'm going to, I'm praying hard, praying, praying really hard, and I don't even really know what that means. But we think if we pray hard enough uh, that somehow if you do all these things, then all the circumstances will line up and God will give us what we want. But when we see prayer like that, it treats prayer like a button to be pushed, and it's not. It's a relationship to be pursued. So today, I want to think about something, because this is going to happen. You're going to say, okay, I'll try this. I'm going to use the Lord's Prayer as an invitation to relationship. I'm going to start by acknowledging God as He is. I'm going to acknowledge who God is. I'm going to pray about things that are bigger than me. And at some point, and that's great, you know, I'm going to pray about things beyond my circumstances and beyond my wish list, and that's awesome. But at some point, your best intentions will probably get shipwrecked. And even if you're saying, well, I'm taking prayer way more seriously now than I ever have before, 
there will probably come a time in your prayer life where you will get stuck, and you'll get stuck on the circumstances in your life because the circumstances aren't working out the way you want it. You know, a relationship's falling apart. The money isn't coming together. Your kids are drifting further than you hoped they ever would. The job is a dead end. Someone got bad news from the doctor. And at some point, your prayer life becomes a steady diet of that. And it's not that you don't need to pray about that. You should, you should pray about that. You absolutely need to pray about that stuff. But prayer can become a series of your worries directed to God. And in fact, for many of us, prayer is worry in God's direction. Do you ever think about that? Let's be honest. How many of you have already worried about something today? Okay, some honest people. That's awesome. You've already worried about something today. The rest of you have already lied today. But we're just... <laughs> we're just worriers by nature. We, we worry about our kids, and we worry about our money, and we worry about all kinds of things, and we worry about our health, and we worry about things that you care about, you know, and you wake up worrying, that's the worst. And my, my wife and I have talked about this, because I don't worry about a lot, I just don't. There isn't a lot that keeps me up at night, and, and we talked about this recently because I wanted to make sure my assessment of myself was honest, and we include, concluded that, no, I don't worry much, but since then, I've been thinking about this, and I'm kind of worried that maybe... There's something wrong with me that I don't worry enough. Am I that kind of heartless, uncaring human being? So I've been worried. That's what I've been worrying about lately. But I tell, I tell you what, if we were to audit our prayer life over the years, prayer easily becomes worry in God's direction. And we might think, well, that's great. No, I don't think it is. And we know that the reason we worry is because of our circumstances, right? That's what drives worry. It's circumstantial. Because if our circumstances are going all right, if everything is going according to the way we want it to go, according to our kingdom, you know, and we all have our little kingdom, you know, God, this is the way you should run the universe, and, and if it was all going that way, we wouldn't worry. We wouldn't have to. Of course, I'm, I mean, if you've got it really bad, when things are going well, you worry that you've missed something. I, you know, that, that's a separate sermon. But see, life rarely works out this way, and we, we, we live in a pretty comfortable culture. We live in a pretty comfortable moment in history. For those of us who live in the United States of America and in, on Independence Day weekend, I mean, you can whine all day long, and you can, but I might have to slap you because the more that I hear about this country going to hell in a handbasket, you know, or whatever that means, I don't know what that means either, but you got your, you got your reasons that you think that, and that's fine, but if you just back up for a minute and take a wide view, I think you'd have to acknowledge that we, we live pretty comfortable here. Think about this. I mean, freedom aside, that's cool. That's what we're celebrating this weekend. But all that aside, if you've been born 100 years ago, pretty good chance you wouldn't know what indoor plumbing is. Think about that. <laughs> Pastor Bob, all the 19 people who get up every Sunday to hit the bathrooms during the sermon, I'm guessing if we had a couple outhouses out back in the middle of July, we wouldn't have to worry about that. They'd be sitting right here under the fan. But... <laughs> That's a personal problem, Garth. <laughs> we had an issue with our dishwasher this week, and it, it stopped working. I had a call for a service. I had to get a service call. I'm a dishwasher. Because how are we exposed? Does God really expect us to live without a functioning dishwasher? 
what kind of a third world nation are we? I don't, you know, it's like the stuff that we expect and then the stuff that we worry about because we worry about the stuff that we expect. So our whole prayer experience can become a steady diet of worry in God's direction. But this is what I want us to remember. Just remember this because we're going to look at our circumstances and you're going to start praying about your circumstances. And and here's what you need to remember. That God is bigger than your circumstances and God is better than your circumstances. And the reality is, and my wife and I were talking about this on our way in today about this whole idea of that God is good all the time. And I'm like, I, I believe that, but... There are times I don't want to hear that because it doesn't seem like it in the moment. But we need to remember that God is bigger than our circumstances and he's better than our circumstances. And when we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by our circumstances, when we're overwhelmed, what do we do? We worry about our circumstances. And when you, we worry about our circumstances, you pray about your circumstances. And if you start to pray and you try to remember the things that you know, we've been talking about, about using the Lord's Prayer as a guide and acknowledging who God is and confessing our sin and forgiving others and surrendering our will to God's will and all that. But eventually, the more that we focus on praying about our circumstances, you'll eventually you'll probably just find yourself praying about your circumstances. And you should pray about your circumstances, but God already knows, but he wants to hear from us. But here's the danger. When we pray about our circumstances, we get stuck in our circumstances. You're going to get stuck there. And it's going to dominate your life and your thought life and your prayer life. And it it might be 80 or 90 or even 100% of your prayer life. And ultimately, if you stay there, ultimately, your circumstances will kill your prayer life. Because your circumstances are the only thing you pray about. And you should pray about your relationships, and you should pray about your kids, and you should pray about the help things, and you should pray about work and money and necessities and all the things that are important to you. But if that's all that we ever pray about, our circumstances will kill our intimacy in prayer with God. So what I want us to remember, and I have to remind myself of this all the time because I get so tripped up on circumstances, we need to remember that God is bigger than my circumstances, and he's better than my circumstances. He just is. Because we're talking about God, not some, not some improved version of ourselves. See, in, in my life isn't, isn't just about the way that I want my life to be and the way that I see the world. And, but, but boy, you and I are playing a part in a much bigger story, a kingdom that's bigger than ours, a story that God is passionate about and a story that God has brought into motion and a story that God has invited us to play a part in. Think about that. But we'll never get to the story all we ever do is obsess and think about and worry and pray about our circumstances. Just let me make it clear. It's better that you pray about your circumstances than that you don't pray about your circumstances, but let's not stop there. Otherwise, it's like you're stopping in kindergarten, you know, it's, like, it's just, and you get frustrated because you've stopped making progress and moving forward, and we've We've talked about this in this series about at some point along the way, most of us have become frustrated in prayer at some point. And usually it's because God doesn't seem to be changing our circumstances, like he's not even listening, or maybe he doesn't think my circumstances are important as I think they are. So 
in that moment, I don't like this prayer thing. I don't like how it works. I wish there was a formula, and I wish I could know whether I was checking off all the things, and I'm not even going to bother praying anymore because what's the point? I'm not even sure I like this part of God anymore. And I mean, if I prayed for him to get better and he didn't get better, and or it, why would I keep praying? Or if I prayed for a relationship to be restored and it wasn't restored and it only got worse, why would I keep praying about that? And we lose sight of the fact that God is bigger than our circumstances and he's better than our circumstances. Now, I'll tell you, sometimes you read the Bible and you're like... Uh, you're in the light of this series, you're like, hey, Todd, I think he, you know, I, I, I don't think you've read the whole Bible here because you missed something because I got some passages that promise me that God will give me what I ask for. I can find them. I've got them written out on a card, posted on my mirror. I, I got them right here. And I, I've been around church long enough that, and you know this if you've been around church a while, you've heard these verses. Some of them actually follow the Lord's Prayer as it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 11. And actually, it, you're going to be reading the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, and someday and you're, going to, you're going to work through all this stuff, and you're going to be reminded of the stuff we talked about, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to, I want to make this to be, to characterize the way I pray. And then you're going to keep reading, and you're going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. I think, I think, I think Todd is, on the wrong, on, on, is wrong on this one, because look, 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 look what it says right here. Jesus said this. He, 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 God is going to give me what I want. So I want to work through these verses in Luke chapter 11 this morning. Because when we read them, we think, all right, there it is, my favorite verse. God's going to give me what I want. All I have to do is ask. These are the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 11 and verse 9. Okay? This is following uh, the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And you look at that and you think, cool, Jesus says, tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, our God is a genie in a bottle. That's amazing. So uh, it's, you, you look at that and you're like, well, how, how could it mean anything but what it seems to mean? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And for some of you, the reason you're frustrated in prayer is because you've been asking for a long time and you've been seeking for a long time, been knocking for a long time, and God isn't giving you what you want. Then Jesus seems to make it worse in verse 10. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. And you're like, oh, really? Everyone, you say. Really, Jesus? I've been asking. Where have you been? I've been seeking. Nothing. I've been knocking. Nobody's home. Come on. What is this all about? And he goes on to explain a little bit more, but because I think he's, <laughs> I think he's sensing the frustration in his listeners. Because they've been where we've been. They've been frustrated. Uh, they're beginning to wonder if God is listening, if God cares, if God is good. Because we think if God is good, he'll give me what I want when I want it. So we think, I guess what I need to do is I need to pray about my circumstances more. I need to pray harder. I, maybe I'll get some people to pray about this with me. We'll have like a, we'll just like knock down in heaven's door or something because I'm knocking and no one's answering. Let's just pound it down and then God will give me what I want. And maybe the reason we think this is because this is what we've been taught in our churches. So Jesus asked this question. Which, and I love how Jesus does this. He makes a statement, and then he seems like he's changing the subject. Which of your fathers, if your son asks, of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Verse 12. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And, and, and sometimes it, it seems like all we're, all we're really asking God for is a fish. See, this is what they ate on a good day. So, so all we're asking for is the necessities. And it feels like you're giving me a snake instead, you know? Sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? Verse 13. 
Jesus says, if you then, though you're evil, because our motives are mixed, we don't see clearly, although, you know, he says, although you are sinful, fallen people. He says, if we know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give stuff? And this is what we expect that to say. Because we're like, come on, come on, come on, let's have it. Then how much more will your Father in heaven give you what you want? And when we read it this way, we think this isn't really helping your argument, Jesus. My circumstances aren't getting better. My worry is at an all-time high. You're just saying, and now you just said, how much more will your Father in heaven give you? And what we expect it to say is give you what you want. But that's not what it says. In our ADD culture, we, we never read all the way to the end. It's the reason why people like and share things on Facebook, and they all they ever did, and they get into spirited debates, and I would never engage in anything like that, but, and people just read, because people just read the headlines, and they don't read the whole thing. So we tend to do the same thing with Scripture, and that's dangerous. We, and then what we do is we make it say what we want it to say. So what does it say? That God will give us what we want? No. See, this isn't about our circumstances. It isn't about our wish list. It says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And we're like, I never asked him for that. That's not what I was asking for. I want what I want. And you'd never say that out loud, certainly not on a Sunday in church, you know. Like, but in reality, we think that's like the consolation prize. Like, God, this is what I want. Oh, you're not going to give me what I want? Or you're going to give me the Holy Spirit? Oh, great, thanks. Does it deserve a thank you note? I don't even know. I didn't ask for it. I want, the, I want what I want. I want my circumstances to work out. I want them to work out the way I want them to work out and the timing that I want them to work out in. And I want something better. And I don't really want the Holy Spirit. It's not what I asked for. It's nice, I guess, but it's not what I asked for. And maybe you're like, I don't even know what that means. Because you're praying for your circumstances. You're not asking for the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's the problem. Because God's bigger than our circumstances, and God's better than our circumstances. But all we can see is our circumstances. It's all we can see. But if all we ever pray for is circumstances, and and you should. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need, but He wants to hear from you. But if that's all we ever pray about, your Heavenly Father wants you to know that there is so much more at stake than your circumstances. There's so much more going on in this world, so much more, he would say, that I want to do in you, so much more that I want to do through you. There's so much more than this thing that you're asking for. Tim Keller says it this way. He has some great things to say about prayer. He says, uh, so many times we're like a six-year-old who broke a toy. He says, we're crying and crying and crying. I want a new toy. I want a new toy. And your grandfather comes along and says, here's a $100 gift card for your favorite toy store. You can buy 20 of those things. But we just keep crying. I want a new toy. I want a new toy. And we miss the gift. That's what, that's what this verse is all about. The things that we ask for, when in our asking, we've missed the gift of the Holy Spirit. So how do you overcome your circumstances then? How do we put that in the proper perspective? Let's talk about that when it comes to prayer. How do you get your mind where your mind needs to be? How do you get your focus where it needs to be and your heart where it needs to be? And just because of the human condition, we get so focused on our circumstances and we can't really get beyond them. But I want to suggest this to you, that the the people that you admire the most 
The people who have inspired you are people who have transcended circumstances, when you think about it. So I'm going to introduce you to two people like this. The second is the Apostle Paul. We're going to talk about his circumstances in a few minutes. But this is a name, and I just chose, there's a, there are probably hundreds of stories. But I chose this one because I find it really, I've always found it really interesting. This is a name you may or may not be familiar with. This isn't, this isn't a biblical character. It's a person in history, and his name is Ernest Shackleton. We have a picture of him. How many of you have ever heard of Ernest Shackleton? Five people have heard of him, but as soon as I tell you the story, it's going to come back to you because you've probably heard of him. In 1915, how do you remember that? You remember Dwayne, right? Um, <laughs> Ernest, that's why they were good friends. So um, That was so rude. Um, Ernest Shackleton set out to explore the South Pole, Antarctica, 1915. He set out from England with 28 men total to circumnavigate Antarctica and to make it to the South Pole. It was sort of the last frontier left on Earth. If you know the story, you know that things uh, didn't quite go the way he'd hoped for. Uh, he, had, he and his men never set foot uh, in the, on this expedition on Antarctica at all. They arrived in Antarctic waters, and, and through either bad planning or unfortunate circumstances, or who knows, their 144-foot, three-masted, 350-horsepower, 350-horsepower, think about that. Some of you guys in your trucks out there have more horsepower than that. Uh, steam-propelled ship got stuck in the ice. Four months into the voyage, four months into the voyage, they decided they needed to winter out in this ice. There was no moving. They were stuck in the ice for a total of 10 months. They had provisions. It wasn't exactly a luxurious life. It wasn't the cruise you've all dreamed of. In the 11th month, the ice and the weather became so oppressive, the average temperatures were 23 below zero Fahrenheit, 23, average temperature, 23 below. So in the 11th month of being trapped in the ice, and the ice, as we know, moves. It's not static. It started to pound on the ship and to squeeze the ship and to, to uh, squeeze it on both sides with just obviously this amazing pressure. By mid-November, the 12th month, the ship's hull had been so damaged by the ice that it was listing badly. I have a picture of that. And I was going to use the remote, wasn't I, Corey? So good luck keeping up with me here. Uh, and they knew at this point it could sink at any time. So they had to abandon the ship. After 11 months stuck on a tiny ship, stuck in an ice floe in an Antarctic bay, they decided they have to abandon ship and set up camp on the ice. It looked something like this. And they camped on the ice for <laughs> five more months. They found some games to play to keep their spirits up, like ice hockey, so it makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> but can you imagine... They did. I actually they, I read that this week, that they played a little ice hockey in the Antarctic ice. It's not as nostalgic as it sounds, but these are overwhelming circumstances. Can you imagine this? I mean, we're just talking 100 years ago. Oh, when the ice was done with the ship, which ironically was called, anybody know what it was called? And it was called Endurance. I thought maybe somebody would pick up that because there was, there was a, a couple movies made about this story. One of them was called Endurance. This is, this is what it looked like by the, time, yeah, by the time the ice was done with it. This was their ship. So clearly they weren't going to make the South Pole. They probably weren't going to make it home for breakfast either. But Shackleton said when they realized they wouldn't make it to the South Pole, the mission changed. And the mission then was to get all 28 men aboard home safe. So all they have left at this point are three 20-foot lifeboats. Here's a picture. And they've got enough food to keep them alive, uh, barely. 
So he decided to take five of his men, and they found, they identified the strongest of the lifeboats to have survived, and they reinforced it and modified it some, and he and five of his men set off for the whaling stations on South Georgia Island, where they knew they would find some help. That trip, they knew, would take nearly five weeks, 800 miles. They encountered hurricane-force winds in a 20-foot open lifeboat. Then they make land and have a 32-mile land crossing over mountainous terrain, and he finally reaches the whaling station. And then a rescue team is dispatched. You're like, oh, good, he's going to go get the rest. Yes, four months later, the 22 men that were left on Elephant Island were rescued, and nearly two years after they left England, the entire crew made it back to England alive. Um, I don't know about you, but I won't go out for a walk if it's a little bit windy or if it's a shade too hot. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> it's the truth. Ernest Shackleton's story is, is a very famous one. Books have been written, movies have been made. It's an, it's an inspiring example of courage and leadership, and, and I love it. But here's a reality in your life and in mine. That circumstances crush dreams. Maybe you've been there. Maybe at some point you had a dream for how your relationship with God was going to go. Maybe you had a dream for your family. You had a dream for your marriage. You had a dream for your kids. You had a dream for your career, for your finances, for your influence, for your reputation. And you know firsthand that circumstances crush dreams. The reality to me, the reality of Shackleton's story teaches us, and so many others like his, and in a minute we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul, that circumstances crush dreams, but dreams crush circumstances. If you can keep the dream in front of you, if you can keep the meaning and the purpose in front of you, if you can keep the vision and the mission in front of you, if you can keep the story that God is telling with your life in front of you, if you can keep God's kingdom in front of you and look beyond your circumstances, then you'll have a meaningful life. If you do that, in the context of God and His kingdom, God will use you for His purposes and for extraordinary things because God has a bigger and better dream. You think your dream is the ultimate dream, but I promise you God has a bigger dream than you have even imagined. And when you get stuck on your circumstances, you get stuck on your dreams, you get stuck in your kingdom, God says, if you would focus on me, I have a bigger story for you to be a part of. I have a better dream for your future. I have a better and bigger dream for you because God is bigger than your circumstances and he's better than your circumstances. And if all you ever pray about is your circumstances, all you're ever going to get is frustrated. I just promise you that. And every once in a while, you'll get relief and you'll be like, hey, that all worked out. That was great. I worried about that for weeks and I prayed about it really hard. And hey, it all worked out. Was that prayer? Was it something else? Was it coincidence? What's the deal with that? You never really know. The Apostle Paul. He wasn't trying to sail around Antarctica. He wasn't even trying to make a name for himself at all. He was just trying to do something revolutionary because he saw a kingdom that God was planting and that was turning his world upside down. And 2,000 years ago, when the church was born, God had a dream. And it's like he said, I see people whose lives are crushed by sin. I see people whose lives are marked by a lack of hope. I see people who are looking for a path to me and can't find their way. And since they can't find their way to me, I will make a path to them. And God didn't send Jesus to earth to teach us, even though he taught us some amazing things. We're talking about them this morning. But he lived and he died to bring forgiveness and reconciliation and healing and hope. 
The Apostle Paul knew this, and he experienced it firsthand, and he went around planting little churches all around the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And these churches were radical. They were radical revolutionary communities of love and hope. In an era of human history where women were treated as property, the church said, the church pioneered this, by the way, the church said, we believe that women are created in the image of God, and we ought to treat them that way. So husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. That was radical. Still pretty radical. In an age when your socioeconomic status was not going to move much, the early church practiced radical generosity. In an age of oppression where people lived without hope, the early church brought hope to people, to individuals, to families, to communities. They brought the message that God loves you, God knows you, He knows your name, He desires a relationship with you, so He gave His Son to die for you. He died to bring you life. That was his mission. Was it easy? <laughs> it was almost impossible. Uh, you read the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and you will see Paul and Peter and James as they led the early church. And they got so frustrated because God said, I want you to go out and tell the world. And they did that, and the world rejected them and spit on them and stoned them and threw them into prison and eventually killed them. And the Apostle Paul, in the middle of pursuing his life's calling, because you think it's frustrating to not know what your life's calling is, try knowing your life's calling and then trying to do it from prison or do it with people hurling rocks at your head. You know, rejection after rejection. In the middle of doing exactly what God had called him to do, the Apostle Paul, to whom Jesus had appeared in a vision, it was pretty clear, crystal clear what he was to do with his life. The Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, he said this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, he said this in verse 8. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. What's so amazing and shocking to me about the Apostle Paul, when you actually read his prayers, he really doesn't pray about his circumstances very often. He presents them. He might ask others to pray. He's more likely to say, hey, how's it going there, guys? I'm writing this from jail, just so you know. And he doesn't say, God, please, please deliver me from this stinky jail. I'm sure you don't really want me going through this. I'm sure this was some kind of weird mistake. So please deliver me from jail because I got to go do what you called me to do. He never once does he ask that. He just says, here's the good news from jail. <laughs> he does think about that. And all you people who are always whining about stuff and your circumstances, just be content. Rejoice. I've learned to be content. He doesn't let his circumstances grind him down because Paul knew that he was working for something that circumstances could not destroy. That's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of something that circumstances cannot destroy. And I'm telling you, your life takes on the greatest meaning when you're working for something that circumstances can't destroy. And that early church embodied something that Jesus called the kingdom of God, where people had value, where all were invited, where everyone was included, where everyone mattered because everyone mattered to God. That's the kingdom of God. And that's the reason we're here today is because Paul didn't give up in the face of difficult circumstances. You're part of the church today. And if you've discovered new life in Christ, it's because Paul and Peter and James and the early church didn't let their circumstances get in the way of what God was doing in them and through them in the middle of their circumstances because they knew that God is bigger than their circumstances and God is better than their circumstances. I've been talking about the Lord's Prayer 
throughout the series. And when you, we begin to see the Lord's Prayer through this lens, I think it comes to life. And we're going to be tempted to make prayer, even the Lord's Prayer, all about our circumstances. Okay, it's like, okay, God, I'm kind of stuck on this. Give me my daily bread thing. And I know I'm, supposed to, I'm not supposed to get stuck here, but I'm kind of tired of the bread you've been giving me. It's kind of boring. So if you give me some, I don't know, cinnamon raisin would be good or some artisan bread or something that just change it up a little bit. You know, that'd be great, God. How about that? And I've got all the stuff you need to know about God. Okay, so while, while I got your attention, this is why I'm so depressed and this is why I'm so unmotivated and this is why I'm so worried. Oh, tell him. But don't live there. Jesus knew this tendency in us. I want to go through the Lord's Prayer and I hope you can see it with a new perspective. So let's just, let's just walk through the Lord's Prayer we're going to put it on the screen. Our Father in heaven. In other words, our eyes are off ourselves. God, you are Father. You actually care about us. You know us. This is a relational image. Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. I acknowledge this isn't about my name. It isn't about my fame. It isn't about how great I am or how deserving I am or how worthy I am to stand in your presence. I don't, I don't want to make it about me. May your name be exalted and made holy in my life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This isn't about, by the way, one day when I die kind of thing, your kingdom come. This is about the here and now. This is about what God is up to now. It's about where he's moving now. It's about the story he's writing now. It's about your will be done in my life, in my work, in my family, in my church, in my friendships, in my relationships, in my entertainment, in my recreation, in my circumstances. Your will be done. This is why I'm so passionate about the mission of the church because this isn't about getting people here on a Sunday. And I love Sundays and we put a lot of work into it, believe it or not. But this is about introducing people to the radical love of their heavenly father through his son, Jesus Christ. He says, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Can you imagine the influence and the impact in our community if Christians in Ellsworth, Maine were the most radically forgiving, non-judgmental people that anyone ever came across? Can you imagine? Because we realize that as God's grace is extended to me, so I extend it to you. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because there are all kinds of, there's all kinds of stuff going on around us. There are all kinds of opportunities. We've got our share of circumstances that are working against us. And these aren't the words of Jesus, but we added them at some point in church history. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. See what this prayer is really all about. See where this prayer takes us. It takes us far beyond our circumstances. And if you're still trying to figure out, you know, what this even means... You know, so then, okay, then how do I bring my request to God? Where does that fit in? I'm telling you, if we'll just rest here, just lean into this prayer. And if while you're praying, you'll keep your Bible open more days than you keep it closed, maybe start, start in the Psalms and let the words of the psalmist be your words as you pray. You'll be, begin to discover what surrender to the kingdom of God in your life is all about. You'll start to discover that your heavenly father not only loves you, but now he wants to use you. He wants to use you in this great epic story that he's writing. That your life is not insignificant. And even with all of its imperfections, he wants to use your life as a vessel of his grace to change your world. So let's pray beyond our circumstances. What's that look like? A couple things. Ask God to help you see beyond your circumstances. We spend so much time and so much emotional energy asking God to change our circumstances. 
when perhaps what we, what we really need is to learn to see what God is doing beyond the circumstances. It's like, well, all I can see is what's going down at my job. All I can see is what's going down in my family right now. And all I can see is the state of my finances. And all I can see is this health diagnosis. And ask God to help you begin to see beyond your circumstances. Then ask God for something that the Apostle Paul, uh, he did ask for again and again. Ask God to help you persevere beyond your circumstances. Because the greatest stories you know, the most inspiring stories ever told, are those stories of people who persevered against all odds to do something greater than just them. And then ask this. Ask God to help you fulfill His kingdom. Not my kingdom. Because we all got a kingdom. They pale in comparison to what, what God's already doing. They pale in comparison to God's kingdom. When in doubt, remember this, that God is bigger than your circumstances and he's better than your circumstances. And if in prayer you can access this truth, your life will have so much more meaning and so much more significance. And when it's over, you look back and you say, I was part of something so much bigger than, than I could ever see. I was part of something so much more significant than my circumstances. And for whatever reason, God used me. And somehow my life was not about my kingdom. Thanks for listening. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, prayer is so much more than what we've made it. So much more than a button to be pushed. Life is so much more than my little kingdom and my wants and my wish lists and my circumstances. Because we all admire people who overcame overwhelming circumstances, but we tend to let our circumstances guide us down and we lose sight of what you want us to do, even in the middle of our circumstances. So, Father, may we be a church, may we be people who refuse to let the circumstances take us off track. May we be people who who keep our eyes focused on something more noble, something more amazing, something more eternal, the kingdom of God, the cause of Jesus, the work of God in this world here and now. Do something miraculous in us, Take us beyond our circumstances, beyond ourselves, into what you want to accomplish in our lives. We give you the glory for that. Listen to this song.